Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. This is what I want to do today. Um, we're going to call this night tonight a special treat for you guys. And it's going to be Steward the Dwelling Part 5. I don't know if Sunday will do Part 6. Um, I don't want to rush God and I don't want to twist God's arm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to go with some other things that he's been putting in my heart like being gripped. If you were here last Sunday, um, I felt like being gripped with passion really, really stuck out. And um, it did something to my heart um, talking about being gripped. So I'm, I'm, who knows, maybe now we'll stay on being gripped with passion for five weeks and we'll see what God does. But today we're going to jump into what we would call steward the dwelling part five. And if, if take out your Bibles there and open up, up to Psalm chapter 24. I'm going to read from a different translation maybe, so it might kick off some words a little bit differently, but you could still catch the same stuff as you're reading along. And in Psalm 24, I'm going I'm to start off actually with the first verse. And this is where we left off on Sunday. But I did have a lot of things to say in it. But I wanted to end the service already because it was time to end it. We felt that it was time to end it. So we did just that and we were obedient and we ended it. So I just read Psalm 24 and I really just focused on the last verse. But today I kind of want to jump in, in a sense, not verse by verse, but somewhat like that. And see what it is that, that God wants to share with us. When, when we read Psalm 24, if you remember this from, from last Sunday, we said that, that some have titled this psalm, um, it, the King of Glory. They titled it the King of Glory. And when we get to the end of it, you know why they titled it the King of Glory. And David, um, as he writes this psalm, it's interesting because David is actually writing a psalm that deals with celebration. And, and if you're taking notes, I think especially a night like tonight is so good to take notes and just learn. But the, what he's doing is he is celebrating God's kingship, specifically his kingship. And I think this is cool. When an earthly king is giving knowledge to the one true living king, the one whose throne is above all thrones. And for me, that does something because most kings, if you study these times, they called themselves God. The pharaohs were considered gods. You guys know that. Many gods, uh, many gods, many kings from Judah and even at the time from Israel would blaspheme and call themselves God. So it was very common for them to see themselves as higher than the God of the Israelites. Even some of them themselves being Israelite or being Jewish. Very weird times. But it's still the same thing today. You have artists that think they're gods. And they call themselves gods. And they display themselves as gods. So it hasn't changed so much. But it's interesting that a king who sits on a throne, who reigns over the most powerful nation, who is one of the most fierce and one of the most respected warriors called David, he writes a psalm to celebrate this king of glory, and in celebrating, he's celebrating the kingship of his God. And what he's describing in this psalm, as we said it on Sunday, was 
His enthronement. And you should write that word down and maybe even do your own study on it. But enthronement. And that's what he's focusing on. On God's enthronement. When a king sits on his throne. When he's being seated. When there's a massive ceremony. In, in these times when, when a king was chosen or, was, or a king died and a son took over or whatnot. They had a, an enthronement celebration and, and all the nobles and all the respected leaders and even other kings from other kingdoms would come, okay? You remember this from Frozen when she becomes the queen, okay? I know I mentioned the Frozen thing. I'm a dad with two little kids, but whatever. But, but, but that's an enthronement. Everyone comes to celebrate and everyone comes to pay homage and now this king is being seated upon their throne. They have right to it. It's their throne. And here is David writing Psalm 24, and he's describing the God's kingship, his enthronement, and celebrating the king who sits on a throne, which is his throne, that no man and no one above him, because there is no one above him, made for him to sit on. He sits on the throne that is set for him to sit on. And, and what an amazing psalm this is. And then I shared this, and we're going to jump right into it, the word ascend. Why do I want to continue to focus about on ascend tonight? Because in this passage, ascend is key in this writing of David. He uses the word that we would translate in the English to ascend. And I told you guys that if ascend for our church was just a theme to go to Israel, and we made shirts about it and wristbands about it, and we made a cool video and we said, hey, we ascended to Israel, shame on us. Ascent should not be a theme to Israel. Ascent should be the theme to our life. At least one amen would have worked there. Okay. The theme to our life should be ascent. That should be the theme of our lifestyle. It's, it's a lifestyle of ascending. And what I mean by that is that we'd ascend to the mountain of God. And I said, when? Always. Always ascend. Let's go to verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 and 2 and then I'll pause. Look what David writes here. I'm going to read from the Passion. And... Um, just follow with me. It says, God claims this world as his, the world as his. Everything and everyone belongs to him. He claims the world and all who live in it. He's the one who pushes back the oceans to let the dry grounds appear. And he plants the firm foundations for the earth. Awesome entrance to the psalm. He, God, enthronement, king, king of glory. He claims the world. It's his claim. And not only the world, but everyone in it. He's the one who pushes back oceans. And he's the one who lets dry ground appear, planting firm foundations for the earth. I love when God speaks to Job. And he says, Job, um, he, he tells, um, um, oh, you want to you wanna, you wanna ask some questions? Let me ask you some questions. And he says, who knows all the stars and knows them all by name? Who tells the ocean where to stop? And, who, and he just asks them. And Job's like, oh, okay, I'm done complaining. You are the king of glory, right? Like, like Job couldn't answer that. It's true. Go to the beach. And, and who tells the water just to fizzle and stop right there? And the creator of all the universe says, I did. I created, and that's where it fizzles away. And what is the name of that star that, that is right over our house that sparkles every day? And, and, and we don't even know its name. And, and maybe they named it after a, a Greek god or a Greek goddess. But, but God knows its name by origin when he created it. I mean, those are some crazy things. When you get to heaven, not only does he know your name, but he says there are hundreds of billions of stars in this galaxy. And I know every single one by name. I was bored. I just do things for fun like that. 
I mean, I want you to understand what David is doing here. God claims the world as his. Everything and everyone belongs to him. He's the one who pushes back the oceans, lets the dry ground appear, plants firm foundations for the earth. David is writing this very specifically to his people of his day. He's writing this psalm because there was an ancient eastern belief in these days. And David knew that. And, and the belief was that the earth was supported by, and you've probably heard of this and all that, by pillars that were sunk into the sea or even floated upon the sea. And David knew that. David knew that, that will, that's what was being taught around circles. There is no pillars that are in the oceans keeping this world together. There is a God who holds this world together. And it's his claim. And that's what he's writing. So what he's doing is he's coming against this ancient eastern belief that it was supported by these pillars that were somewhat in the sea and David in his writing goes straight against those philosophers that he knows very well and he knows where they're debating these things at and he actually says absolutely not the world is his and I love this ready not only is the world his but everyone in it is his yes or no is that biblical I'll prove it to you. In Revelation, on the last day, when everyone stands before him on that great white throne judgment, it says, what did John say? What did John say? He says, I saw everyone standing before him. I saw the nobodies and the somebodies. I saw kings and presidents and priests, and then I saw your normal lay people. All men stood before him. And, and, and the mightiest king looked like a little ant before the throne of God. Why? We're all under his claim. We're all his creation. You know, we, are, we make ourselves bigger than what we really are. So, so the world is his. Everyone in it is his. He founded it upon the seas. He establishes it upon the waters. The, the, pop, the proper, and I'm going to say this, the proper translation for God here in, um, in, in verses 1 and 2, and whichever way your translation says it, but if you study into, into, the, into its proper language and all that, the word God there, it's the word Yahweh. And, and David is saying Yahweh, which means the existing one. When we learned that his name was Yahweh, our God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, his name is Yahweh. And we know that when Moses says, what's your name? So when I go to Egypt and I free your people, who do I sell them? You say, Yahweh. And that's when, when we get the word Yahweh, the ex tell them the existing one is with you. So when David writes this, he's writing the proper name for God, and he writes his name, and he's saying, Yahweh alone has claim to everything that is created. How many of us could say amen? Eventually, all this stuff will be wrapped up and become one nice big present in our hearts. So, so here's the question, ready, in verse 3 and 4. Let me just read it, and then, and, and it's important because when we read verse 3 and 4, David's claim of the king of glory, God's kingship and his throne, you have to remember David as an as, a, as, as, an, as an Israelite, he's writing to people that would understand this. And in verse 3, it says, who then ascends to the presence of the Lord? If you're reading from a new King James, it says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, to the mountain of God? And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Verse 4, he says, well, it's those who are clean. It's those whose works and ways are pure. How many of you have ever read the Beatitudes in the New Testament? It's Jesus' longest recorded sermon, and in that he goes over something called the Beatitudes. We went to Israel, we went to the Mount of Beatitudes, where that was somewhere at. And Jesus, in one of those Beatitudes, he says one which is very special to me. Why is that one special to me? Because it's the one that those shall see God. Blessed are the, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So why is that special to me? Because I just want to see God. And God says, but blessed are the pure in heart. Look what David is writing way before Jesus steps into the scene and gives that, that message. He says, 
Who can enter into God's holy place? Who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth, and those who never deceive and whose words are sure. So here is a question in verse 3 and 4, or more, more or less verse 3, that many people would ask as they would go visit, or better yet said, like we did, take a pilgrimage to the temple in Israel of its day. David knew that one day the temple would be there. He wanted to build the temple, if you guys know the history, but he could not build a temple because he had too much blood in his hands. So his son, and David saved up for his son. Through his first son, when his son took over, his son then built a great temple, Solomon's temple. But David knew that. So he knew that when he was writing this, this is the question that people would take as they were going to the mountain of God. As they were going to Jerusalem, this is what people would talk about. Well, who could ascend to the presence of the Lord? And who has the privilege to enter in God's holy place? You should know that answer. Who is the only people in the Old Testament, we could answer this, that was able to enter into the presence of God? Who, let's, let's get more specific. Who is the only person? That could enter into the presence of God. Thank you. The most high priest. The high priest. Not, not just the priestly family, which were called the Levites. But the high priest. He was able to enter into, in, into that place. On the day of atonement. Once a year. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's a good question to ask. Well, who could do it? We know the answer. The high priest. Why is that so important? Because you heard me flirt with it. And you've heard me say it so many times. But I flirted with it on Sunday. The high priest is still alive today. His name is Jesus. He is our high priest. And through the high priest, we now have his DNA, and we are all called the royal what? And we'll get into that scripture in Peter, where he calls us now the priesthood. So let's go. In, we're going to fast forward, and we're going to call ourselves the royal priesthood in, in, in a little while. So we're going to fast forward and say we're the royal priesthood. Let's rewind again back to Psalm. Ready? Who ascends? Who has the privilege to enter? What's the answer? Fast forward to the New Testament. What's the answer? I do. I do. You do. We do. When Jesus died on the cross, what was one of the first things that happened? What happened to the temple? Herod's temple was there. What happened? There was a veil that covered one part of the room to the most holy place, the holy of holies. And scripture says it was torn in half from one side to the other. When a veil is torn, what does that mean? We all have what? We're all going in. We all have entrance. Why would he say it is finished? Why would he rip the veil? And then why would Peter say we're all royal priesthood? And then I'm here telling you, steward the dwelling. Steward the dwelling. Why? Because you are priests that are called to dwell. Steward it and live there and Work there, marriage there, father and mother there, be a friend there, be a son, be a daughter there, uh, be, be, a, be, be a businessman there, be a student there. All of your life should be consumed in the dwelling place of the Lord. And we say what? Amen. Let's keep going into this. I have so much to say today. Who could do this? We don't have time to go over all the external ceremonies back to the Old Testament, okay? We're, we're back in Psalm. Rewind. We're not in, sorry, there's a lot. We're not in the New Testament, Old Testament for a moment. We don't have time to go over all the external ceremonies that are required as one enters the temple. Trust me, there are many requirements. Many requirements, and it is a pain in the butt. Many requirements. 
I mean, one day, this is a true story. One day, David was, was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. And, and when he was bringing it back into Jerusalem, uh, the man tripped up. The Ark of the Covenant was falling. If you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, it's the, the, that's where it was in the Holy of Place. It was the two seraphim angels, and, and it stood on top, of, um, on top of the mercy seat, and it was falling. And one of the soldiers that was there saw that it was falling, and he ran, and he grabbed it, and he picked it up. You and I would say, oh, that's a good act. But he knew very well before he ran to it that he was not allowed to touch that. Instantly, it says that God's wrath fell upon him. The man died right there. And instantly, God's wrath fell upon those people. Who is that man that thinks he could touch where my presence sits? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who could touch that stuff? Who could dwell in that stuff? So I'm telling you that there's a lot of external ceremonial requirements. But praise God, we don't, we don't, that's not required necessarily anymore. I would tell you this. Can I say something? I would say uh, for the man who doesn't know Christ, it's way more difficult now. You're like, wow, thank God we don't live in those days. What are you talking about? It's way more difficult now for the one that doesn't know Christ. But for the one that knows Christ, it's easy. Let's get into this. Ready? Who could do it? Verse 4. Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true, sealed by the truth, those who never de um, deceive, and whose words are sure. See, we don't go over the external ceremonies right now, but I do want you to know this, that as we study the scripture, we do learn that the Lord now has placed what? There is now not necessarily the old law is gone to be remembered no more. No, don't ever say that. The old law has been what? It is now what has been over... Oh, conquered by a greater and what we would call the new law it is a new law when we take the lord's supper we say this is the new law my blood my covenant that i give you it's a new covenant so the lord has placed a new law what i like to call a greater law or a better law that deals now not necessarily with the external things but with the internal requirements as we enter into his presence i need that to sit on you for a moment because in the old testament everyone worried about the external and now we come before the presence of God like you and I did. I am the wick. Your love is the flame. I want to burn for your name. And what we don't realize is that process right there, there is what I just said. There is an internal requirement that occurs to enter into the place of his presence. That is why when I speak to people like, I don't know what it is about my life. I'm not really feeling the presence of the Lord anymore. Five minute in conversation, we'll nail it to the T what exactly is wrong with them and why they're not meeting his presence. It has nothing to do that God is not there. It most likely has everything to do with that person has not been there. They have not met the internal requirements of the spiritual man. To enter into the presence of the Lord. Who enters into the presence of God as David says? The clean. Here it is. We're called to be clean. The Hebrew word there is innocent. Innocent. Paul writes, when you live your life before others, live it out with no sin, blameless, so that there's nothing that they could point at the finger and blame. That's why watch your mouth. Don't gossip. Don't, don't, don't go out there and sin and then put it up on your stuff. Well, I'm just true to the game. I'm just not a hypocrite. No, that's foolish because now what happens is many eyes are watching you and now they have stuff to say about you. Paul writes, live your life blameless before others. So when they speak about you, they can't find nothing bad to say. But when they speak, they speak of the good of my nature that is in you. That they see me, but they see you, Lord. Paul writes that in the New Testament. Let's go back to the Old Testament. The Hebrew word here means 
who could enter the innocent, those whose works and those whose life is pure. The Hebrew word for pure there, it's a word that means morally pure. Morally pure, not immoral people, but morally pure before the Lord. It's interesting when we look at that because there are so many that we come before the Lord and God is doing great miracles, but we haven't decided to live our lives pure morally before him. And we want to continue to say, well, I don't feel his presence. Yeah, because you're continuing a lifestyle of sin. You're continuing a lifestyle of perversion or you're continuing a lifestyle of blank. And God is calling you to what? Holiness and righteousness and glory and deeper dwelling. Are you guys with me? It's a new and greater law. It's innocent. It's, it's morally pure. It's interesting that Jesus later on in the New Testament says, you want to see me? You want to see me? You want to see God? You want to see God? Pure in heart. Be pure. So, so what we should do tonight as we, as we kick this off, take, uh, take an interior inventory of your life. Whose hearts are true, it says here, and that are sealed by truth. Do not answer this out loud, rhetorical, and or just answer to yourself, and you, you know you. Is your heart true, and is it sealed by his truth? You know whether there's, there's a fakeness in your heart or not. I'm not saying get out of here. I'm saying get in here. <laughs> get into his presence and make that heart true. Amen? Whose hearts are true. Is your heart true before the Lord? You could either repent and humble yourself before him or you could reject it and be rebellious towards him and run away from him. It all depends on the nature of your being, man, who you're going to be. Who, who, let's take an interior inventory. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, it says. Who has not sworn deceitfully. Look at all these things that it says in this passage. Meaning that, that we are cleansed. I love this. We are cleansed of all unworthy motives. Now, are, are there moments in my life that are unworthy? What do you guys think? Heck yeah. Big time, yes. Unworthy moments. But to get rid of the unworthy motives, that you pl- even planning the schemes and planning the evil and, and planning the sin out, like the premeditated stuff, where, where, where your life is no longer consumed by, by unworthy motives. It's the pure in heart. They, they seek God, and by seeking God, what do you think the answer is? When you're pure in heart and you seek God, what do you think the answer is? Man, I want to tell you a story that happened to me last Sunday, but I don't have time for it. When a little girl looked up, well, I call her a little girl because I've known her since she was young, looked at me and said, I see Jesus. It's pretty cool. I'll, I'll share that on a Sunday to come. It brought me to tears. But if you seek God and your heart is pure, what do you think the answer is? Then you're going to what? Then you're going to what? You're going to see him. Pure in heart, seek him. You're going to see him. They, why? These are people that hunger for God. I, I'm going to ask you some very serious questions. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because that's why I've been put in your life. I want to address your heart. I want to address your soul. And I need to make sure that I stir it up for greater things. So watch this. Ready? Here's my question. Are you hungering for God? Well, can you kind of describe what you mean by that? I'm not talking about an appetite, just an appetite for the, for the kingdom of God or for the things of God. I'm not talking about an appetite, even an appetite for his kingdom. We talk about his kingdom so much, but even greater. An appetite for the king in which the kingdom belongs to. Are you hungry for God? Do you have an appetite for God in your mind, in your heart, in your soul as the day goes on? I want you to really answer that for yourself. The question has been asked to people, will you take a heaven without a Christ there? You'll be surprised by many people's answer. Many people would say, absolutely. I will take a heaven without a Jesus any day. 
Shame on us if that's our answer. Because we're not doing this stuff for heaven. We're doing this for the one who rules in heaven. We're not doing this stuff for the kingdom, but for the king, the, the king of the kingdom. That make any sense to anyone? So what am I talking about? We are called to be fair and generous with unworthy motives, especially with others as we deal with others. You have a bad attitude towards others? Listen, stop saying things like, that's how I am. That's not who Jesus is. So if that's who you are, you're not like Jesus. So when they see you, they're not going to see him. That's the truth. Do I have a bad attitude at times? Yes, I do. Do I recognize when I have that bad attitude it's not of Christ? Absolutely, I do. Do I have to keep it like that? No, I need to give it to the Lord. Guys, this stuff is in Psalm 24. This stuff is all here. Fair and generous as we deal with people. Right attitude with right motives before others. These are the things that are to happen. When and how do these things happen? When we're dwelling in the presence of God. How many of you can say amen? Let's go to 5, 6, and 7 just to fly through this. It says, they will receive the Lord's blessing. Righteousness given by the Savior, by God. They will stand before God. For they seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. And it says, Salah, pause, Salah, pause in his presence. Think about that. Remain in his presence and just pause. Think about these things. Verse 7, so wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the king of glory. He's about to come through. He's about to come through you. He's about to come through you. Isn't this a beautiful passage? Because weeks ago, and I repeated it again on Sunday, I said, we are the temple of God that the Holy Spirit lives in. So when David says, wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the king of glory. He's about to come through. I'm going to tell you something right now, verses 5, 6, and 7 is obviously speaking about the temple to come. But I want you to know that it's also a revelation of the temple that is today, that is to come, which is us. That the doors of the temple, yes, they would be open one day and the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord would sit in Jerusalem one day when the Ark of the Covenant would be brought in. But we've seen that we too are the temple and now his, the covenant has been made and his presence now lives in us. Amen? So he says, lift up your heads, ageless doors of destiny, welcome the king of glory, for he is about to what? To come through what? You. And I believe that's talking about me and you now. I believe that this verse, believe it or not, as David wrote it, it has little to do with the temple that is to come in Solomon's time. I believe it is a writing of prophecy that is to come in your day, sitting in the middle of Hialeah in this church, and he's calling you gateways, open up the door, the Lord of glory is going to come through you. When they see me, they see you. He's going to come through us. Amen? And then he says, verse 8, you ask who is this glory king, this king of glory? The Lord armed and ready for battle. I cannot stress this again today. I did a lot of this already on Sunday. He is the mighty one, invincible in every way. Exodus chapter 15. If you want to go back, you're taking notes. Go back and study that. It actually tells us that Yahweh, which is his name, is a man of war. He says, for he's a man of war, and it says, and Yahweh is his name. Powerful passage. I think it's like verse 13. I'm, don't grain of salt kind of stuff, but it's in Exodus 15. So that's a beautiful thing to remember. Verse 9. So again, he repeats. Repetition to a Jewish man, to an Israelite, is emphasizing something. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. I love this because when the Lord comes through you, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of rejoicing now, right? Fling wide, you ageless doors of destiny. Here he comes, the king of glory, ready to come in. You ask, who is this king of glory? Man, let this rest in your soul today. He is the Lord of victory, armed, ready for battle, the mighty one, the invisible commander of heaven's host. Yes, he is the king of glory. Salah, pause and think about these things. How many of you could say amen to that? 
steward the dwelling because he's the king of glory, armed, ready for battle. He's the mighty one, invincible commander of heaven's host, the king of glory. Steward the dwelling. The responsibility is yours and mine to take care of what he's given us. What has God given you that you need to steward? I'm going to tell you right now, it's greater than your children. It's greater than your money. It's greater than your job. It's greater than the person you love the most in your life. It's the greatest thing that God has given you to steward is his presence in your life. Some people don't like to hear that, but it is the truth. The greatest thing that you could steward is his presence in your life. And automatically, this, my children will get taken care of. My job will get taken care of. Because it all comes from being attached to the vine. I'm a vine dweller. John 15, I'm a vine dweller. Steward the dwelling. All right, let's get into this and, and um, maybe we'll end right here. Um, Psalm 132, I'm just going to read it. Psalm 132. Why am I going to read this passage? Because it's a passage that God spoke to me this week. And it's David's heart. As we're talking about steward the dwelling, it's David's heart regarding the ark and regarding the presence of God. Remember, David, Psalm 24. Now Psalm 132, it's speaking about David and his heart. David's heart, his desire for the presence of God. Let's just read it. Um, I'm going to read from verse 3. And um, I'll stop at 7. I'll read 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Here we go. Listen to David. Written about David. He, and David would say this. Ready? Verse 3. I will not cross the threshold of my house to sleep in my own bed. I put this up on social media. I will not sleep or slumber, nor even take time to close my eyes and rest until I find a place for you to dwell, almighty God of Jacob. I devote myself to finding a resting place for you. First, we heard that the ark was at Bethlehem, and then we found it in the forest of Kiriath Jerem. Let's go into God's dwelling place and let's bow down and let's worship before him. What a beautiful word, words by David. But here's what God was sharing with me. I want you to look back at verse 3 and 4. Notice those verses. Let's read it one more time. I will not cross the threshold of my house to sleep in my own bed. I will not sleep nor slumber nor even take time to close my eyes in rest. What a beautiful thing. In verse 3 and 4, I want you to see this. It is the diligence, it is the desire it is the yearning within the core of a man named David. Or, or the better word to use is that we want to read according to verse 5 is, look at verse 5. Until I find a place for you, I devote myself. So the better way of saying it is, it is the devotion within the core of David, this man. That he will not sleep, go home, live complacent until he, uh, until he finds, until he discovers, as we read on Sunday, the proper place of dwelling between the Lord and himself. I want you to pay attention to these words I said, okay? It is the diligence, desire, the yearning within David, within the core of David. Or better yet said, <clears throat> this word is so important. It is the devotion within David that he will not sleep, go home, be complacent until he finds or he discovers the proper place of dwelling between the Lord and himself. Verse 5 and 7. One more time. Ready? I'm going to skip 6. 5 and 7. I devote myself to finding a resting place for you. I devote myself. Everyone say, I devote myself. Verse 7, let's go into God's dwelling place and bow down and worship before him. I'll steward the dwelling. Listen to David's heart. Steward the dwelling. Why am I focusing on David so much and steward the dwelling? Because there was one man in scripture that God looked at and says, here is a man that is after my own heart. Here's a man that is after my own heart. And if I want to learn anything from David, I don't want to learn how he killed people. I could care less about how he killed people. Because I don't have any plans to kill anyone. I could care less how he conquered nations. I have no thought to conquer nations with a sword. So if I'm going to look at David's life, 
I want to look at what God says about him. And he says, here's a man that is after my own heart. So let's look at that. So he says this, I devote myself to finding this resting place. I want to go down to the dwelling place and bow down and worship you. Steward the dwelling. And this is the stuff that I want to pierce your heart and really poke at you and really grow us as a church and you guys as a group. The dwelling place, as we see it again here, and as we read about it two weeks ago, I called the secret place. It is a place where worship is constant. It is a constant place of worship. If you think worship is 30, 45 minutes, an hour on a Sunday morning, you are so confused. That is the last thing that worship is. Worship actually has little to do with what happens on a Sunday morning for 30, 45 minutes, sometimes to an hour. That is actually a minute thing of what true worship is. That is not even the, the full definition of worship is over worship is. So when, when, when we see this devotion and this dwelling place, we learn yet again, as we've learned weeks past, that the dwelling place is a place where worship is constant. And the ones, this is so good, and the ones that have found it or the ones that are located in that place have devoted themselves to it more than the comfort of life. They've devoted themselves to a dwelling place more than the comfort of life. Why? Because worship is their life. It is constant. So what does David say, the man that is after God's own heart? It is more than the comforts of life for David. How do I know it's more than the comforts of life for David? Verse 3. I will not cross the threshold of my own house. I will not sleep on my own bed. I will not sleep nor slumber nor even take time to close my eyes and rest until I find a place for you to dwell in. <laughs> I get rocked by the word. I get rocked by the word. That, that right there is like, that was David's, David is a ruler of the most powerful kingdom. David, they, they sang songs about him. When he walked down the streets, the women of Jerusalem, which were probably the most beautiful women that were called to sing the songs, would stand before him and parade as he was walking. They would sing songs like, David has killed his ten thousands. And they would sing songs and David would march. And yet he's not basking in any of that. His main desire in his life is this one thing. I'm going to devote myself to dwell where God dwells. No wonder when Jesus walks in, there's an inheritance for David. David's, a, David's, a, David's still being spoken about and being blessed. So he's walking and there's a blind man like, like Bartimaeus, for example. And Jesus is his name. And Jesus is walking. And what does the blind man say? Son of David, have mercy on me. That's powerful. Jesus, the Messiah. Think about that. You're David in eternity. And they're like, they just called the creator of all things my son. That, that's just, mud. maybe in a week you'll catch that. But that's mind-blowing. If I was David, that's, whoa. Jesus walked into a town and blind men say, son of David, have mercy on me. What does that mean? What does God mean by that? He's associating Jesus to David. He's associating Jesus to David. Son of David, oh, man. I could just stay, I could preach off that alone for, oh man, I, I want them to associate Jesus with me. One day, there were seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, and they started to cast out a demon. And the demon spoke to those men, and you know what he said? Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? I think it's a little bit more than who are you, but who are you? 
And the man got up and beat the living heck out of those seven men. And they ran naked and beat up from the town. And they were the livestock. I don't care about the demons. I don't care about the guys running naked. I don't care about them getting beat up. What I do care about is that Paul was associated with Jesus, who the demon knew. Wow. I want a demon to say about me one day, Jesus I know, and Rigo I know. How will that happen? Because I've devoted myself into the place of dwelling where he dwells with me and I dwell with him. Man. Steward the dwelling. It's a constant place of worship. It's not 30 minutes. How do I know people are struggling with their worship outside of here? Well, I'm going to speak to you as a pastor and as a brother and as a father and as everything that could be spiritual to you. Because they struggle to worship for 30 minutes. And if people struggle to worship for 30 minutes, there has to be a struggle in their life to worship with all of their life. There has to be a struggle in there. So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to erupt their place of worship outside of these walls so that when we come here, this is just a bonus. I know that. I know people are struggling in our church. I know some of you are struggling. I know that. Why? Because I struggle. We struggle. But I want to get to a point where those struggles don't conquer us no more or don't have victory over us. That, man, we're singing songs in the struggling. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're marching in the, oh. All right, I got to get back into this. The dwelling place, amen? Are you guys with me? So let's consider this, okay? Let's read it one more time. And then um, the dwelling place, as we see it again here, is a place where worship is constant. And the ones that have found it, the secret place, the dwelling place, or the ones who are located in it, this is my own notes. The ones who are located in it have devoted themselves to it more than the comfort of life. I will not, what does David say? I will not cross the threshold of my house, sleep on my own bed, sleep or slumber, nor will I take time to close my eyes and rest until I find a place for you to dwell, almighty God of Jacob. I devote myself to finding rest, the place for you. Let's go, let's go, let's go into the dwelling place and let's bow down and worship him. And you're like, David, don't you have some affairs as king to take care of? He said, I could care less about those affairs. The greatest affair of my life is the love affair I have with God in his presence. Let's go, let's go, let's go and worship him. That's so good. Let's consider this, ready? All right, here's some stuff again for your heart. I'm going to um, spiritually father you for a moment. Here it is. I want to consider the discouragement maybe in some of your lives and many other people that might even be part of this family that are not here tonight. Consider that discouragement of not finding the dwelling place or the secret place. And maybe they're hearing like, I'm just so discouraged because, you know, you're talking about dwelling and secret place. Don't be discouraged. God's doing a work in you. Don't worry about it. But maybe the discouragement of not finding the dwelling place or the secret place. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is what the Lord dropped in my heart today. Maybe it has more to do with a lack of devotion to the one true thing and to the only thing that matters. And because of that, we're discouraged when I preach or when we hear things about steward the dwelling. And it bothers us and maybe it affects us and it discourages us. But maybe it's because of our lack of devotion to the most important thing. As David puts it, I won't even take time to close my eyes until I find the place to dwell for you to dwell in which can be better said like this. I wrote this in bold letters. Until I find the one who longs to dwell in me and I in him. Here it is. Here's some more stuff I want to drop in your heart. This is my notes to you, my heart to you, what God was putting in my heart. Here it is. I believe that your greatest devotion is also an unpopular devotion. This devotion between you and God, I believe it's also a very unpopular devotion. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? It's unpopular. This devotion between you and God, it's unpopular. You're going to college now, you told me next week. Your devotion to God, brother, it's unpopular in that college grounds. 
Trust me, you're going to be attacked on your first day. You already are. <laughs> and he just hasn't gotten there. And right away, they're going to challenge your faith. You are now the minority. You're here and you're part of the majority. But now you're leaving this and you're the minority. In a place which was probably founded on their Christian values but it has been twisted and now you're the minority. This is serious stuff in our world. So what I'm trying to tell us now, the church here, is this. Ready? I believe that your greatest devotion is also an unpopular devotion. And that's what it's going to be said about you. You already experienced it. Many of us already have. It will be said to you about others and even you will be looked down upon but listen to what I'm about to tell you because this is what it's all about bro this is what it's all about family but for those who are searching and those who are lost so important and those who are trying to find home they will be attracted to it because they will find it as genuine pure true and holy and they will look at you and say I want to be part of that because that stuff right there is real it's unpopular but to the ones who are searching and are lost and need a home and they start to come over here or they start to get around you, they say, I want what you have. Because it's genuine, it's true, it's pure, and it's holy. It's different than other places that I visited. That's special. When someone comes over here, guys, I'm not, I'm not messing around. I don't take this stuff lightly. Okay, if not, I'll, I'll hang up the mic and I'll go start teaching again. I, I, I really take this stuff serious. When someone says this to me, when someone says... I visited many churches, but when I went to your church, something happened in my heart, and I could tell you that there's something that is authentic and it's real there. You don't know what that stuff does to my heart. That stuff doesn't get me prideful. It bugs me out. Because I'm like, wow, that people would say such a thing. May that grow. May that become more. So I believe that your greatest devotion is also an unpopular devotion. It will be said by others and even looked down upon you. But for those who are searching lost and are trying to find home, they will be attracted to it because they will find that in you, him in you, presence in you, as genuine, pure, true, and holy. How many of you have experienced that already? Hopefully you have. There wasn't a presentation. We went to a house on, 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 on Sunday. I can't go into everything that happened this last Sunday. But I went to a house of a very sick girl, and the father says this, I called you because I sat and I've met with pastors among pastors among pastors among pastors among pastors. And this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with our family and what the Lord is doing here. He says, and every single one of them that I've met with, I have cringed in my spirit because none of them believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that God could still heal in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and da-da-da-da. And when I called you to come over here with your leaders, I knew that you were the real deal. You were the true thing coming over here to pray for my daughter. I didn't know what to say at that moment. I was just like, What? That stuff bugs me out. It doesn't say, that's right. It doesn't cause me to be prideful. It causes me to say, wow, that junk bugs me out. May, that, may they see you more, God. May they see you, may, be, may be a greater witness, Lord, of you. Stuff bugs me out. So, so may, uh, may they be attracted to that because it's genuine, it's poor, pure, it's true and holy. I talked to many other pastors, so I had to call you. There wasn't, a, this, is, this is something else that I want to share. That there wasn't a presentation or a performance done by your own strength to draw people in. I don't want that as you as an individual and I don't want that as a church. I don't want to present something so we could bring someone in. And, oh, we fooled you. There is no substance. But dang, we got a good show. That's not what we want to be. I don't want to cause a good show. You go to my house and it's hell. I want that, man, that, that it's the real deal. That it's genuine. It's pure. It's true. It's holy. Listen to, again, what I'm, what I'm saying here. That there wasn't a presentation or a performance done by your own strength to draw them in. But there is a presence that is alive that calls out to those who are dead to be made alive. And that's what would draw them in. 
that we say, Lord, I, this is my little prayer. I wrote this down. Lord, I want my devotion in you to be the instrument that stewards the dwelling within that sets a greater fire, not just in me, but in every land that I occupy. In every land that I occupy. So there is a steward of dwelling, so there is a presence in me. And I go into the house of hell, and I go into the house of darkness, or I go into the land that is dry and weary and wicked and perverse and, and dry, and I walk in there, and as soon as we walk in, because it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do within us, it, becomes to, it, it starts to become watered again, and it begins to flourish again, and it becomes to be made alive again, and trees begin to produce fruit again. What happened to that land? People with presence of God began to occupy that land, and because there's life in them, everything that they touch began to have life as well. We were talking about a preacher, that my, my favorite preacher, and he's talking lately about Waco, Texas. He was talking about this in his last preaching. He says, Waco, Texas. People say about Waco, Texas, you're a wacko to want to live in Waco. He, he talks about Waco. He talks about everything about Waco. Waco is one of the most, one of the ugliest, one of the places that you would never want to go to. And just two people who love God, by the way, who are children of God, they're Christians, decided on themselves to just go into Waco, even turn off the, Turn off the television sets because they said in their own comments, we knew that if we continued this, it would destroy our families, it would destroy our children, it would destroy my marriage. So they said, we don't want to be in TV. And then Joanne and Chip Gaines decided to cultivate the land of Waco, Texas. And now more than 32,000 people, I think it's a, a, it's a crazy number. I, I want to almost say it's like a, a week. I don't know how many million a year. And now they, they didn't have that one hotel now. And now they have beautiful hotels coming up. And people are traveling there. And now when you think about all these beautiful places to Texas to, to visit, the number one stopping ground is Waco, Texas. Because two Christians cultivated that land and brought life to a place which was only known as death. The only thing that people would remember about Waco was a man named David Koresh that stuck a bunch of people in a cult in a room. And the FBI screwed up a whole bank ordeal in there and burned everyone up alive and and that was the biggest thing that happened in Waco but two Christians went in there and started renovating the whole thing and now there's life again man is that not true in the spiritual realm as well that we are filled with such presence that every land we occupy becomes revived because of the revival that's in us let's read it one more time that, that there wasn't a a presentation or performance done by my own strength to draw them in, but there's a presence that is alive that calls out to those who are dead to be made alive, and that, and that will draw them in. That, Lord, I want my devotion in you to be the instrument that dwells in, that stewards the dwelling within, that sets a greater fire, not just in me, but in every land I occupy. Steward the dwelling. That, write this down, actually. That fires will start because of the great fire that has started in you. I want to be a, I want to be a, fire starter because of the fire that has been started in me how many of you feel that calling i want to be a fire starter because of the fire that has been started in me let it be listen to this write this down let that in itself be the most attractive thing said about you not that you're beautiful not that you have a good height not that you play good not that you preach good not that you sing good not that you serve well not that you do any let the greatest thing about you that is said that man, that woman, man, they burn for Jesus. I'll take that over anything. And so should we. How many of us could say yes to that? Let it be said about us, and I quote, there is a fire in their hearts for the only one that can set that fire. And listen to what I wrote down today. Devoted to one, devoted in one, 
and gripped by one, by one passion. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Maybe you feel like this, and I'm just going to read it. I have no notes on this, so I promise you I'm going to read it. I'm going to read from two translations, Psalm 63. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 in the NLT, and then I'm going to read again 1 through 8 from the Passion. And this is, the, this is where I end, and it says this in verse 1. Oh God, maybe you feel like this. You are my God. I earnestly search for you, and amen. But how many of you can say this next? My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. But look, what, look, look, look at this. This is important because at this time it is believed to say that he was in a cave in a desert. And he was in hiding. And when David would look out the cave, he noticed that his enemies were going to surround him. And he noticed that in this desert there is no water. There is no water to be found. And in this cave he writes words like this. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. And in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Verse 2, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed, remember gazed? We spent time on that on Sunday. And gazed upon the power, your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. You see that? Nothing about life, all about God, David's heart. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. This is a king talking. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you. Man, it's almost like he's talking to his woman. I, I lie awake thinking about you. And he's talking to his God. <laughs> I'm in my bed and I'm daydreaming about you, Jesus. Like this is insane good. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. What a romantic man. Between him and God, what romance he had with God. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. <laughs> the passion says it this way. Oh God, my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more. With cravings in my heart that can't not be described. Such yearning grips my heart. Grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I long and praise you, God. Daily I will worship you passionately with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. What is David saying? I'm, I'm praising you. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. For, the, for you are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. Verse 6 and 7. I lie awake every night thinking of you. Reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow. Offering up to, to you my songs of delight and joy. Verse 8. With passion I pursue and I cling to you. Because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart come on verse 3 4 and 5 i will not cross the threshold of my house i will not sleep on my own bed i will not sleep nor slumber nor will it have time to close my eyes and rest until i find the place of dwelling may that be our hearts today let's go into god's dwelling place let's bow down psalm verse 32 and let's worship let's worship before him let's steward let's steward that steward the dwelling. Amen. Stand with me. I, I feel like um, we're going to end there. It's a good time to end. 
good scripture to end. And number 16 and 17 gets thrown down the toilet for right now. But this is important. I want, I just maybe, I don't know, maybe Rudy will play something soft in the background, but just take a minute, a minute, two minutes. Maybe the same song. So he doesn't have to search. He can play the same song. And as we say, as we sing this song one more time, my life is a wick, your love is a flame. I just want to burn for your name. Lord, as they see me, they see you, Lord. Maybe, maybe God spoke something in this teaching to your heart today that you recognize the, the, deep, the, the depth and the greater, call to, the greater call to steward your dwelling. And I want you to make that real tonight. I want you to make that commitment tonight. I want you to put your hand to the plow and not look back. I want you to steward the dwelling. And I want the greatest thing, the highest words of praise for your life to be the ones that were said today. Man, that man, that woman, she, she burns for her love, for her beloved, for her Christ. That man loves him. Let, 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 let there not be an entertainment. Let, let it not be a presentation or a performance. But let it be a presence that attracts men to you. That attracts that Lord, my devotion to you and your presence in me. Man, that every land I occupy will be affected. Because of that which is affecting me within. Lord, I pray that that word and all these things would burn deep within us. That we would chew on this and let it resonate and let us lay in our bed awake thinking of you. And let this stuff make sense to our own personal lives. So go ahead and spend a few minutes just giving this to the Lord. You could come up here and get on your knees if you feel like it. But if you want right there between you and God, surrender it. Offer it up. The altar calls open. Open up the, your heart. And um, let God even right now tonight do a miracle. If you want to cry, you can cry. If you want to pray, you can pray. If you want to sing, you can sing. But let the Holy Spirit do his way. Align your heart. Let's go ahead and let's seek him for a few minutes and we'll close up.